The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. We are back for episode seven of the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. And today we're gonna be more on the applied side, talking about the specific situations or instances where BFR training can be most useful. We know that you know BFR can be a powerful rehabilitation and potentially performance enhancing tool, but like any modality, it has specific use cases. And for the purposes of this episode, we've broken it down into four specific use cases where BFR really shines. And before we get into them, we're going to do a brief refresher. If you've listened to any of our previous episodes, or if you've done a bit of reading on BFR, you'll be well across this already. So this is going to be brief, but just to understand the context of these situations, it's important to know a fundamental concept of BFR training, which which is that it can allow you to replicate some of the benefits of higher intensity training while training at a lower intensity. So, you know, as far as resistance training goes, that in, that term intensity is in reference to the weight or load used. Uh, and then, as far as a general term, but endurance training goes, we can we can call intensity. Uh, th- there's a number of ways we could look at this, but percentage of VO2 max would be a place to start. So, with that framework in mind, we know that okay, you know lower load training, sort of replicating some of the benefits of higher load training, that starts to get the wheel spinning as far as what situations would make most sense to apply BFR. So I'm sure situation number one will come to no surprise to many of you, which would be during rehabilitation. There's now dozens of peer-reviewed papers demonstrating not only the safety, but the efficacy of BFR as a rehabilitation tool. Just thinking logically, generally, straight off an injury, you're not going to be loading super heavy. Think about coming off a torn ACL, probably not going to be loading the squat bar up super heavy. But again, we don't want to lose muscle. We know that, you know, not only does muscle in most cases contribute to performance uh, and also most likely contribute to to reducing your injury risk. So again, we're, we're just coming off an injury. The last thing we want to do is lose some of our hard earned muscle and potentially not only reduce our performance capacity, but potentially uh, increase our risk of re-injury again. So maintaining muscle during the rehabilitation process is crucial. And this is where BFR can give you a much better shot at maintaining that muscle than just traditional low load training. If you're, if you're injured and low load is your only option, then BFR is going to give you a much better shot at holding on to that, that hard-earned muscle, muscle tissue. Is it better than high load training for maintaining you know maximum strength? Certainly not. Uh, that's fairly clear, but what it can do is help maintain muscle cross-sectional area. We maintain your muscle size. Uh, and we know that the greater, the greater, the size of the muscle, the greater, the capacity it will have to produce force. Uh, it doesn't always mean that a bigger muscle will produce more force, but it certainly stacks the cards in your favor, especially so that once you go back to high load training, once you're recovered from the injury, you're not actually having to rebuild the muscle tissue. You're going to have to do some rebuilding on the neural side, learning how to strain again and push heavy loads. But the actual building of the, you know, the raw materials, the muscle tissue, you would have spared more of that during the rehabilitation process training with BFR. We're going to link, I'll link one uh, meta-analysis from 2017 on uh, general musculoskeletal rehab with BFR in the show notes for you guys. Uh, Again, there's plenty of peer-reviewed studies at this point. Uh, It's pretty clear that BFR is is a powerful rehabilitation tool. So that's situation number one 
on to situation number two, which we're going to call fatigue management. Lifting heavy is awesome. I love lifting heavy. If it's part of the, you know, the demand of your sport or your goals, if you're a power lifter or you just want to get stronger, there's kind of no way around lifting heavy. But we know that it is just downright fatiguing. And it's fatiguing in a few specific ways. Uh, you know, of course, any training, any proper training is going to come along with with some element of fatigue. But heavy lifting adds a few specific elements of fatigue that you're just not going to get to the same degree, uh, even close to the same degree, training with lighter loads. And first one would be joint and connective tissue fatigue. So heavy loads impart a lot more damage on your connective tissues, which tend to take longer to heal than muscles do. So it's just something to be cognizant of if, if you're in a situation where you're trying to manage fatigue, your joints and connective tissue are down. This is where BFR can be uh, a really powerful tool because again, you want to maintain your muscle. Uh, but maybe you're in a situation where joints are bothering you, you know, you've got some connective tissue, just even fatigue that maybe you can't feel, uh, but it's something that, that needs to be addressed and mitigated with a, a reduction in overall load. That's where BFR can come in handy. The second element here is just a, a global kind of systemic fatigue from heavy loading. It requires a lot. Of, obviously, we're talking a, a ton of force output. Think about a heavy squat or a he heavy deadlift. It also requires a lot of, you know, neurological drive and strain. There's even a, an element of psychological fatigue, you know, stepping under a barbell. Not all of us are, are at this level of strength, but if you've trained for long enough and you've built up quite a bit of strength, you know, the feeling of getting under the barbell for a squat and the bar is bending before you even lift it off the rack. It's, you know, it, it, it requires a lot of drive. Um, and so systemic fatigue, it's, it's, it's no secret. It's fairly obvious that it will start to accumulate over time from heavy loading, uh, in particular reference to heavy loading. And on that same side, there's one more element of fatigue, which would be axial fatigue, which is a little bit less understood at this point, but it's worth mentioning. Axial, of course, referring to the spine, and it, it results from heavy vertical loading of the spine. So again, think about heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, even heavy you know, barbell bent rows. It's despite the fact that it's kind of localized to the local muscles of the spine. So think about it, any muscle that sort of su supports your spine. Fatigue of those muscles seems to have some downstream effects on the rest of the body because think about it almost like as like a neurological effect where you're you're going to have a reduced output from your legs, even though the, the muscles in your legs aren't the ones that are feeling fatigued. Uh, there might be a reduced output there simply out of almost like a protective mechanism of your spine. That's at least how we understand it today. I think axial fatigue is a little bit less understood than, you know, the very obvious joint and connective tissue and systemic fatigue. Uh, but it's it's certainly an element and it's also, it's certainly an element that you will avoid with training with BFR just because you're not going to load. Nobody's loading over 20 to 30% of their 1RM with BFR if you're training logically anyways. Uh, so that's, again, another uh, element of fatigue that you sort of circumvent with BFR training. So taking all that into account, we've got joint and connective tissue fatigue and disruption, uh, global systemic fatigue, axial fatigue, which again is, is kind of a global deal. All of those come into play from lifting heavy loads. And all of those can be circumvented for the most part while training with BFR, because again, you're training with 20 to 30% of your 1RM. And another element would be kind of stopping a few reps shy of failure. We've done a separate video on this. If you want to listen to our, our podcast on should you train to failure with BFR, we go into this in more detail, but long story short, it would appear that stopping a few reps shy of failure gets you very similar results, if not equal, uh, than taking your sets all the way to failure with BFR. And it, it comes at a, a fraction of the cost, you know, less soreness, less perceived exertion, less fatigue. Um, so, so if you apply that, you know, stick within 20 to 30% of your 1RM and avoid taking your sets to failure, you will 
go a long way to reduce or minimize fatigue in your training with BFR. And that is situation number two. We're breezing through these. On to situation number three, which is we're just going to call during travel or when you have limited access to weight. So we've all been there. Sometimes, you know, traveling, either there's no gym at the hotel or the hotel has, you know, a couple dumbbells and a small little pulley system or, you know, it's a, it's not an ideal hotel gym. You're getting in late. You can't, you know, there's no access to a local gym. This is where BFR can come in, in handy because BFR cuffs generally are really easy to travel with. They're small, light, portable, uh, and they're certainly going to help give you more stimulus from your low or no weight, you know, even body weight session than you would get otherwise. Brief pause, if you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The comprehensive guide to BFR training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, again, because we're going we're gonna to max out you know, the, the metabolic stimulus, we're going to get a lot more from that metabolic stimulus of muscle growth. So accumulation of lactate, think about the burn while you're training in your quads, doing a a set of 20 or 30 on squats. Uh, And think about the burn and the swelling. Those are two, two good ways to frame sort of the potential muscle growth drivers that are exacerbated or exaggerated from BFR training. The, the, The pump, the muscle swell that you would get from traditional training now that's magnified because you know you've got cuffs occluding your legs, not allowing blood to leave you know leave your limb and go back to your heart. So the pooling in your legs causes a, in, an exaggerated element of that cell swelling, the muscle cell swelling, and then the lack of oxygen because not only is blood getting trapped down in your leg, but blood's having a hard time, harder time getting in as well because a lot of your arterial flow is restricted. So because of that, you've got you've got less blood leaving, more swelling, and then less blood getting in you know, less blood equals less oxygen. That creates a hypoxic environment or just just a low oxygen environment, which downstream leads to accumulation of metabolites. Again, think about that burn, lactate being a a good example. Those two things are probably hypertrophic or or stimulators of muscle growth in themselves alongside with mechanical tension, uh, which is just, you know, moving force through muscle fibers, uh, moving weight. So when you're in a situation like that, where, you know, maybe all you have is your body weight and you're doing push-ups and, you know, maybe some split squats, et cetera, this will help you get a little bit more, eke a bit more out of your session by, again, exaggerating some of those metabolic demands of your training. I, as an example, have taken my BFR cuffs with me camping uh in the past you know you're camping out in the wild you have no access to weights so i literally packed my cuffs put them around my legs and i would do i loaded a backpack that i had with me with rocks uh, that were around and just did you know split squats some walking lunges absolutely fried my legs but you know i got a better stimulus out of that session that i would have otherwise without the bfr cuffs and that sort of loops us in to our final situation which is when you have a time constraint So I just touched on this a bit, but some of the drivers of muscle growth as we understand them today, uh, I just touched on mechanical tension, but I'm going to kind of paint this picture really quickly because it'll help illustrate the point of how BFR is effective when you have a time constraint. So when we investigate, you know, what actually makes muscles grow? How do we make muscles grow? Right at the center, as we understand it, is mechanical tension. Kind of, you can't avoid mechanical tension if you want to make muscles grow. Again, that's just forced through muscle fibers. That's moving you know, weight that's heavy enough to drive growth. 
Uh, so we've got mechanical tension right in the center, unavoidable. Outside of that, we have two other contributors. I'm going to breeze through muscle damage because I, you know, muscle damage we could call number two, uh, but it's kind of TBD on that one. I think we'll learn a lot more over the next couple of years on muscle growth's role in in or a muscle damage role in growth. But it, it is it's not clear whether or not it's you know correlative or causative uh, because actually recovering from muscle damage relies on some of the same resources as adaptation from training. So in other words, damage can actually be, you know, too much damage can be really counterproductive to growing muscle. At the same time, it's, you know, it's hard to say that you could grow a muscle without inducing some level of damage. Uh, so again, is it causative? Is it is it correlative? We don't really know. Um, so I'm going to move muscle damage to the side for now. I just knew somebody was going to flag me if I didn't mention this. So we're back to mechanical tension. And then this side contributor here would be metabolic stress. And that's the, what I was just discussing, the pump, the burn, your accumulation of metabolites like lactate, all the things that we sort of associate with higher rep, shorter rest sessions, you know, picture doing four sets of 20 to 30 on a machine chest press with you know, 30 to 60 seconds rest between sets, your chest is going to feel like it's splitting off. Of course, assuming you're doing proper technique and loading and all that kind of stuff. We're fairly certain at this point that metabolic stress plays a role alongside mechanical tension and growth. So it's not an on-off switch. So it's not like, you know, okay, I'm lifting heavy and that's mechanical tension. And now I'm lifting light with BFR and that's metabolic stress. It's not an on-off switch. There's always going to be an element of mechanical tension in your training even a heavy set of five where you don't really feel a, a ton of, uh, you don't feel a ton of burn. Maybe it's more just, wow, I, I feel like a lot of force going through, you know, my quads and hamstrings and glutes. There's still an element of metabolic stress in that heavy set of five. And on the other side of the spectrum, when we're doing a set of 20 to 30 with BFR cuffs, it's not completely metabolic stress. We're just much further on the spectrum of metabolic stress. But again, there's still mechanical tension involved. With that said, Tension is, you know, when we're on the tension side of the spectrum, we've got the longer rest. You know, sometimes you'll see powerlifters take five to 10 minutes plus in between sets just to recover enough to be able to go produce because in order to drive growth, you know, the, the, the pathway we're relying on is, is tension through the muscle fiber, really maxing out tension. So that's just going to require long rest. Even if you're not doing a set of three to five, if you're doing a set of five to 10, 15, it's still heavy enough to where you really need to pay attention to your rest. Make sure that you can go in with, with sufficient ability to produce a ton of force because that's kind of the move for what you're doing. On the other side of the, of the aisle, we've got you know, BFR sessions that rely more on metabolic stress, it's almost, it's not that mechanical tension is not an important factor and that, you know, you could just sit there and rep uh, a, a pencil for bicep curls, but it's much more conducive to short rest, you know, max out the pump and burn. That's why the 30-15-15-15 protocol is, is really popular in BFR training. It's a set of 30 followed by three sets of 15 with 30 seconds rest in between each set. So, again, it's it's kind of, you're almost incentivized with BFR training to take shorter rest and max out the metabolic stimulus, which is why it's quite good for people who have a time constraint. So if you're, if you're thinking, I got 20 to 30 minutes, you know, I need to get a really good session and what am I going to do? Well, to, to warm up to lift heavy might take you almost that entire time for one. So your warm up alone is, is going to eat into the session. But then the rest between sets, you're going to do a 20 minute warm up 
get one set in and then you got to rest five minutes, you've got time for one and a half sets of one exercise. Where if you're going to train with BFR, the need to, <laughs> the likelihood of getting injured on a set of 20 to 30 is so slim. So the the demand, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that you shouldn't warm up, but the risk of injury is so much smaller that it's much easier to kind of get up and running with your session and knock out a, a, a really solid session with BFR in 20 to 30 minutes because there's less warm-up time and there's less rest that you should be taking between sets. Put simply, with BFR training, we're generally going to be re relying less on total force through the muscle and more reliant on the pump and the burn. That's the easiest way to, to, to explain it. And that kind of wraps up the four specific situations. We've got rehabilitation, fatigue management, travel, and when you have a time constraint. I hope this episode gave you some sort of clarity on you know, the best times and best practices to apply the modality of BFR training. Um, we want to be able to provide the best information possible so you can maximize your performance through BFR. So that's why we're producing these videos and episodes. I hope you find them useful. If you have any questions on BFR training at all, my personal email is in the show notes. I'm happy for you to reach out and I'm happy to address any questions you may have. But until next time, you have a strong week and we will see you on the next episode.